truly what I am encouraging people to do is just live a healthier lifestyle. And so a healthier lifestyle means that you eat balanced consistently. You honor your hunger and fullness cues most of the time. You even honor your cravings most of the time. You move your body regularly. You stay hydrated with water. You you get balanced, you know, adequate sleep. You manage your stress. Obviously, there are going to be seasons that are a little bit more stressful. There are going to be seasons you indulge a little bit more. But with that said, it's still pretty standard. Like there, it's still like, yeah, there's still the through line. There's still like a beat, like a steady beat. And then like maybe in the um, holidays, you might like let go a little bit, <laughs> like, like, but not, but not like a whole lot of it because what I help people do, what we help people do. And I know you do as well is we're helping you to feel better. Right. So if you focus on how you want to feel both now and later, you're going to make better choices for you. Yeah. You want to do it. You want to stick to the plan. Hey there, my friend. It's Dr. Anthony Balduzzi, and I want to welcome you back to another episode here on the Fit Mother Project podcast. In today's episode, we have an amazing conversation with registered dietitian Tony Marinucci. Tony is the founder and business owner of Tips with Tony. She's been on the Dr. Oz show talking about her weight loss journey and how she's really uncovered some profound questions and relationships to self-love, how that relates to nutrition. And she just wrote a book called Once Upon a Diet that I wanted to basically have her on to talk about where she draws some parallels between our dating lives and how we actually approach our nutrition. So in this conversation today, Tony and I cover a lot of ground and I'd say Mostly, we talk about the inner game of losing weight and keeping it off, how we can manage tendencies of self-destructive behaviors where a lot of us in the past have had you know, binge eating late at night, feeling guilty the next day, yo-yo dieting. And I think for our Fit Mother community, no matter where you're at with the journey, the questions that Tony presents here, the frameworks and the ideas will be very valuable because for us, we're trying to make this a for-life shift, not just a crash-fad diet. And Tony's someone who's dedicated her life to really figuring this out from her own personal story of struggling with her weight to now helping hundreds and thousands of people with this. So I'm really excited to bring you this conversation today with Tony Marinucci. All right, Tony, welcome officially to the Fit Mother Project podcast. I'm so happy to have you here and I know we're going to have a wonderful conversation today. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. So to kick this off, I'd love for you to give us a little bit of your background. Like, Tell us about you know, how you got into looking at nutrition, how you became a dietitian and a coach, your relationship to the word diet, and why you wrote this new book that we're going to be telling people about that I think lays out a really unique perspective on this whole landscape of dieting. Yeah, it's a long story. I'll give you the shorter version, but it's not short. So <laughs> just a fair warning that I've tried to give it shorter, but <laughs> no, it's basically um, the story of a girl who was overweight, I grew up overweight. I'm from Long Island, New York. And it was made obvious to me that I was bigger than my peers just by the way people looked at me, the way that even, you know, my family judged me. There was a lot of criticism and I was this happy-go-lucky kid. But at some point there was a shift where I realized, oh, this is a problem. I'm not supposed to be larger than my peers. So I grew up with a lot of insecurity. I was told directly by family members that if I didn't lose the weight, I would never get a boyfriend at the early ages of like 10, 11. As I got older, that really hit me because I realized that I was getting teased about my weight at school, usually by the boys. And I never got asked to prom. And I really 
because like very obvious to me, plus all the Disney movies I watched, you never saw the main character being a bigger body who got the guy. So I tied my weight to my worth very, very early on. And I felt like I needed to lose the weight in order to be worthy of love and acceptance. And I didn't even really know it so clearly then, but as I got older and even now after writing the book, I was like, wow, I really was trying to prove myself to the world. And I really thought that at the end of losing the weight, I was going to find love and marriage and all the things that I thought that I wanted. So Long story short, I decided to try to lose weight on my own, like many people do, just by, you know, reading what's in the magazine, seeing what my friends are doing, seeing what even my mom and my aunts were doing, just kind of picking up on their language. And it led to some really disordered eating patterns. I would undereat, I would overexercise, that led to binging, which led to uh, going back into excessive exercise, which led back to the restriction. I just stayed stuck in that cycle. How long were you in that cycle? I would say, so it really started in my teens, and I would say probably for most of my freshman into maybe midway sophomore year in high school. Where, and it was actually perfect timing, right? So as much as I had this like really tumultuous relationship with food in my body, it led me to what I'm doing today. Because in your junior year of high school, you have to decide what do you want to go to college for? And so I remember in the 10th grade, I made this shift because I was depleted. I had no energy. I was having trouble focusing in school, thinking about my body and what I was, what I looked like was constantly on my mind. And it just took up every ounce of my being. And I wasn't even losing any weight. I would get frustrated every time I'd get on the scale, nothing changed. And I was like, there has to be a better way. So that's when I started to explore potentially, like, instead of me focusing on what can I take out, how about I focus on what can I add in? So I started eating more vegetables, drinking more water, rather than going to like low, 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 low calorie, excessive, excessive amounts of exercise. And I mean, it didn't happen overnight, but that is when I started to realize, okay, when I do this, I actually do have more energy. I'm more, I have more focus. You know, I did play sports. So I was like, I was better in my, on my feet, on the field. Like it, it started to improve in many ways. So I decided to go to school to become a registered dietitian. And then fast forward many years later, now I help people to find balance in their eating habits. But obviously it didn't just happen like that quickly. But the more I started to kind of work with women, I noticed that they had this pattern and they would jump from diet to diet, hoping each one was quote unquote the one. And simultaneously, I had finally like figured out my relationship with food and healed my relationship with food and my body-ish, but I was also dating, what I say, five versions of the same guy, just with a different name and a different face, like never really learning the lesson. And so I would get frustrated with these women who would realize, like, I'm like, why can't you realize that like, you're just doing another form of restriction? You went from this diet to this diet to this diet, but underneath it all is just extreme restriction. But then I realized I was doing the same thing in my dating life. Like I was dating somebody else, but like, I never really was getting to the root. And really, I was just kept settling and settling and settling. And I think so many people want to lose weight that they'll settle on these very restrictive, disordered diets and meal plans and things that are just not sustainable. Yeah. And then are frustrated at the end when it doesn't work out, right? And I was doing the same thing. I was not asking the right questions. I kind of just like honestly was dating whatever kind of came along because I had so little worth, like self-worth and belief in myself. Um, And so these ties and these parallels led to me deciding to write my book, Once Upon a Diet, where I really realized, oh my God, there are so many parallels here. It's not just about like jumping from diet to diet, like the quality of the relationship, the quality of the diet. These are all things that take work and effort. And there are so many things that 
the people, if we treat them the same and we need to stop doing that. <laughs> so that's basically how the, the, the book was birthed. <laughs> yeah. That's a powerful story. I mean, it sounds like this was your work to do and go through in your own healing and powerful that you drew those parallels. So I'd like to get into some of those specific connections in the book. I kind of want to dive into some of the premise of the book and and what some of these really powerful connections are and how people listening to this can take some value from the understanding of the relationship between these things, maybe reflect on their own habits and behaviors in the domains of both dating and in nutrition. Like, let's get into it. Yeah. So very early on in the book, I talk about how there's two types of people in this world. We have bouncers and then we have planters. So the bouncers are the ones that jump from diet to diet. They, you know, try the superfood, they try this fad, they kind of just go from one thing to the other thing. But then when things start to get hard, maybe when scale doesn't move or they feel like they're not making progress, they bounce and they try the next shiny object, right? So like in relationships, it's like they are just, they love the honeymoon phase, but they forget that like past the honeymoon phase is actually where the work happens. Happens and that there is some sort of adjustments and work that's going to need to be put involved in order for you to enjoy the outcome, right? And so then there's the planters, where the planters are those who, it could be like the worst situation, it could be the worst relationship, but they're just trying to relive that honeymoon phase. It could be like the they're having like bloating, fatigue, diarrhea, all the things, but it worked at one point, so they're just trying to relive the honeymoon phase. So you know they're the ones that stick to something way past the point of it's not working anymore. So maybe it worked for you at one point, but it's not working anymore. So they're like trying to fit a square peg in a round hole, right? I'm a planter. So for those of you who are wondering, um, I stayed in relationships way longer than I needed to be. At one point in my journey, I just even though I was no longer restricting calorie-wise, I was just restricting in the ways of doing just like really rigid eating habits and behaviors and just, you know, ignoring all the red flags, right? And so I think that's where we really need to learn a little bit from the bouncers and a little bit from the planters, right? So bouncers have to learn that like, you know, sometimes things are going to be, it's not going to all be like sunshines and rainbows and things do require work and adjusting, right? But then with the planters, it's like, we have to realize that if we keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again and expecting a different results, well, we know that that's insanity, right? So we need to take a little bit from the bouncers and a little bit from the planters and basically be committed to the plan and flexible in the approach and adjust and make shifts when necessary, as long as the overall outcome and goal is something that, you know, you want to achieve. Yeah, that's a really beautiful summation. I think that's a powerful, I don't know if you call it an analogy, but a categorization model of thinking about things. I'm thinking if I'm a bouncer or a planter, and I think I'm more of a planter than I am a bouncer. But I think it's also in certain areas, I think we probably have a dominant personality type. And there's maybe some areas of your life where you, you behave a little bit differently. Definitely. But powerful. I'd say I'd want to invite everyone listening to this to think like when it comes to your health life, where do you think you fall? Because I imagine if you know know thyself and what your tendencies are that kind of comes into the hedge of how you might approach things. So let's keep on talking about some other key ideas in the book. First one is fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. So one thing I actually, uh, in February, 2020, I gave a TEDx talk, uh, where I talk about three questions that people need to ask themselves. And in the book, I actually expand on it in different, they each kind of have a chapter. And I think it might be really helpful for people to kind of ask themselves the right questions here both in dieting and dating. So the first question to ask yourself 
is before you start something, will this last past the honeymoon phase, right? So the honeymoon phase is when everything is easy and exciting, right? The question is, is this going to go past that? And like, there's nothing wrong with like a short-term fling. So there's nothing wrong with like seeing absolutely how lean you can possibly get or signing up for like this crazy, you know, like triathlon where you have to train super hard and heavy for like maybe a few months, right? But we also have to know that that might not be, for, for most, for some, it could be a lifestyle. But for most people, I think they have to recognize that like to always be in a calorie deficit and try to get as lean as possible is not sustainable in the long run, right? So it's like, okay to have a short-term fling. It's okay to go date someone for a little bit and know that, you know, they're not like marriage material, whatever it is. But if you're looking for marriage, then, and then you find that that person that you knew was going to just be, you know, like a hot flame and then kind of sizzle out. And then you're expecting it to turn into a relationship while you're setting yourself up for failure, right? So that's kind of the first question we need to ask ourselves. And also when in regards to dieting too, like, you know, if the diet requires you to eat out of Tupperware container and never leave your house, well, then you're probably not going to do it for more than six months, right? So that's something that we really need to really consider. And then the second question is kind of when you're in something, and this is going to really help, especially those people who tend to fall towards that planter where they stick to something for way too long. Um, the question is, is do I even like this? Because in relationships, we start to just get into patterns and we kind of just are going through the motions And we never really ask ourselves, it's like, you know, a kid, a house later, do I even like the person that I'm with? Like, like what is happening here? Like, do I even like this? Right. And that doesn't mean that you leave the relationship, but that just means that maybe some shifts need to be made to like bring the fire back and to just like, you know, it's not always going to be the honeymoon phase, but there are moments that we can like, you can like it more than just tolerate it. Right. And so in the same thing with your food, like, are you even enjoying your food or have you just been eating the same thing over and over and over again? Or like feeling like you have to go to the gym in order to see results, but you hate it. It's like, there's, other ways to move your body that you might enjoy. There's ways that you can enjoy the food that you're eating, right? So um, making sure that you're enjoying the process, because I think so many people are so focused on like the end result that they forget that what's most important is the journey, right? And especially if you like what you're doing, if you like what you're eating, if you like who you're with, well, that's going to be a lot more pleasant of an experience about to, you know, eventually to get to the goal. And then the last question is kind of, this is where I've failed many times is I never asked this question. So I would like go from one long-term relationship to another long-term relationship or like do something crazy in a diet through like one way and then go to another something crazy in a diet just in another way. And so it looked like it was a different diet, but it was really the same diet in a different book, if you know what I'm saying. So basically that question is what lessons did I learn from this? Like when you're finished with it, right? So I think a lot of people are used to like, they cut out every carbohydrate or every sugar or whatever it is. And they go to that extreme and yeah, they might lose some weight and they probably feel better because they're probably looking at labels more. They're probably not having a ton of excess sugar, all that. But so then, but then it doesn't work. Cause then they're like, I got the cravings come off. I feel like I can't go to parties anymore and I'm not enjoying my life, <laughs> like whatever it is. Um, and then they go back and then end some and like, they kind of, you know, go back to that binging mentality or that overeating mentality. And so the lesson there isn't now, okay, let's try that again. The lesson is, you know what? Probably if I am just more mindful of those things that have added sugar, you know, if I eat maybe more complex carbohydrates that are higher in fiber, I'll probably fill up more, but I don't need to like 
completely exclude all added sugars and not eat carbs, right? So there's a lesson there. But if you never take the time to ask yourself that question of why didn't this work, you know, what lessons did I learn from this? Then you're going to repeat that cycle over and over and over again. So if you really want to break the cycle, you really need to ask yourself that question. And so in the in regards to relationships, I'll just use myself as an example. Like I just kept going for I never really defined what I actually wanted or what I actually was looking for because I I guess I was afraid of being let down and I talk about it in my book like I think I just so badly wanted it to be that I could like have someone who like loved me back. I never really considered like what does that person look like? What does that person do for a living? What is that person? What are their values, you know? Like how do I want them to treat me? Like I never really defined that so I kind of just like oh if the sparks were there and there was chemistry that was the person I ended up in a relationship with, right? So we have to go a little bit deeper than like oh is this going to help me lose weight, which I think would most people, when they're looking for a diet, that's what they're looking for. It's like, or is this person someone who is attractive, right? We have to go deeper and ask those right questions so that way we don't stay stuck in the cycle. Yeah, totally. I mean, that framework makes a ton of sense. Let's talk about how question number three, which is both what did we learn and like what is our ideal kind of outcome moving forward is the application of that wisdom. For someone starting out who's tried and failed the diets, what are the common things that your clients say as their outcomes? Like what are some realizations that they often learn? Because I imagine people are learning similar things and they're having similar enough outcomes. It may be a tough question to answer, but let's talk about question number three in relation to nutrition. Yeah. So obviously everyone's unique and everyone really is different, but I'll give you a majority of what most people come to us for is like, they'll say that, you know, they liked having some sort of accountability where it came to like tracking and helped them to bring, bring awareness, or maybe the program they did had like group support, right? So like they liked the idea that someone was maybe checking in on them and they liked the idea of like having to write down their food, but then they also say, but then it got kind of obsessive. And then I kind of felt like I didn't know how to eat unless I was tracking, right? And so the lesson there is, there is, there's a saying, and I I do believe in it. If you can track it, you can change it. Right. But like, so at what cost, right? And what form of tracking might be better for you? So in our program, we have people take photos of their food, which is like less than getting up. Some people can get really obsessed with the numbers. So we rather, you know, for them, we try to encourage them to like, let's just bring awareness to colors and, you know, what's present on the plate and how is it balanced um, and kind of just go from there. And then we could always add to that. But so that's usually something super common. Um, they feel like they felt like tracking was helpful, but the type of tracking probably was isn't the right fit for them. Another thing a lot of people say is there's like some really obvious red flags of I only worked if I ate. They had to eat like the shake and the bar and they weren't allowed to, you know, they it just it was just like the uh, I mean there's a few diets literally out there that tell you to just eat a bar for breakfast, a shake for lunch, and then your dinner is like chicken and vegetables. And like, that's all you're expected to eat for the day. Like that's a huge red flag, (laughs) right? And so obviously you're only going to be successful if you are doing that, but then it's obviously going to stop and not be sustainable in the long run. Mm -hmm. So for some people though, it's like they like, a lot of people will tell me that they like being told what to do. And I have to remind them that you 
You might like guidance, but you don't actually want to be told exactly what to do because that black and white thinking, that all or nothing mindset, it leaves like so much room for you're feeling like you're not perfect. And because you feel like you're not doing things perfectly, you say, screw it. And then you kind of just stop doing it or stop trying. So I think a lot of people, what I try to explain to them is that they're looking for like I want you to do this and not that. But the reality is, is that they've done that many of times before. They've gotten lists that said, eat these foods, avoid these foods. They've said, follow this meal plan, blah, blah, blah. Um, And it was too rigid. So they want structure, but they don't want the rigidity and the restriction. And I have to remind them of that because sometimes it's like they think that's what they want. But then when we really get back to the application process, we realize that's not sustainable and you want something that's sustainable. So technically that's not what you want. Yeah. You're hitting on so many key points that we've realized from our programming community are the, are the facts. Like you need some amount of structure. It's like a baby bird is being taught how to fly. Like you need something that you can start flapping your wings, building some momentum, but ultimately you need to become the own your own autonomous boss or CEO of your own plan or otherwise it's just your least you're leasing your your nutrition plan for a little bit versus this is like ownership which is also means you're creating the own plan that works uniquely for you like you're probably taking principles structures guidelines but ultimately there's a state of ownership where you're like actually based on what happens with my kids what happens with my food preferences and this and that and this is what actually works in my life and it's not intermittent fasting or it is intermittent fasting it's just it becomes personalized and tailored, and then you can sustain it. So I, I love that. Definitely, we share that as, as fundamentals in our approach too. And it's super cool that you're talking people through this process of thinking about the art of this transformation, which is an inside game. It's not that we need to know more about superfoods or the macros. It's the behaviors, right? It's behaviors, emotions, habits, patterns. Yes. For sure. So tell me more. Tell, tell me more about even certainly your book. If there's if there's more to share, because the framework I think is super valuable. But even just insights from your vantage point of having and helping so many people lose weight, stuff that you think is very powerful and important in this exact conversation we're having now. Yeah, I'm glad you asked that because I think as much as we do help people with weight loss, it's not our main focus. So that's probably the biggest takeaway. And I actually um, teach uh, in chapter five how scales don't measure what matters. So I'm really adamant about we can use the scale to check in with progress and to kind of see if we're going in the right direction. But if it's what you're fixating on, especially women, you are going to be so frustrated and disappointed because if you go from these you know, fad diets, these extremes, the weight loss is really fast and really rapid, right? But we also know that then it comes back on faster and more some, and that it's not sustainable, right? But with that, if you're so used to your older version of progress was like seeing the scale go down like four to five pounds a week, let's say, and now you're doing a more like healthier, balanced approach where it seems like it's going slower, but we know that in the long run, it actually stays off. So it's actually the faster way, but maybe you have like one to two pounds of weight loss a week, or maybe not even a pound, or sometimes you go up, right? But that's the reality of when you're working on habits and when you're working on sustainable change, and when you're really working on something so much bigger than the number on the scale. So I say that because I think it's really easy to get stuck on the numerical things because it's tangible, but what we're really chasing actually is a feeling, not a number, right? So I we really challenge people to look at their energy levels, their bowel movements, their quality of their hair, skin, and nails, their relationship with food, their body image, their confidence, their 
PRs in the gym or ability to walk up and down stairs. I mean, we have people who come in who are like super fit and frustrated that they, you know, as much as they work out, they don't lose a pound. And then we have people who like get tired from walking up and down the stairs that have feel like they want to start becoming more fit, but they don't even know how to begin. And like, you know, they feel like their weight's holding them back. So on both sides of the spectrum, fitness is important to them. And so we remind them of that. And that sometimes as you put on muscle mass, it even slows down with the number on the scale says even more so. Um, and I just think that it's super important for people to realize that because if you're just chasing that number on the scale, it's never going to feel like it's enough. And it's going to be really frustrating. And, you know, the scale fluctuates for many reasons. But so it's okay to measure it, you know, so it's definitely a data point. Um, but there's many other data points that I wish people would, no pun intended, give a little bit more weight to. <laughs> so I feel like those are the things that if you focus on that, then your weight tends to fall in a place that is sustainable because you're focused on these healthier habits and behaviors and let that just be a side effect to that. Yeah. You're spot on. Uh, absolutely. I mean, what you're talking about before when we were talking about plans that are too rigid, like things that are too rigid are going to break over the long haul. It's just like the law of nature. Like a palm tree has a certain amount of strength and a certain amount of bend or they wouldn't exist right now because hurricanes would wipe them out. Like I think that the same kind of aspect of the things you use to measure, they can't just be these really rigid breakable things like the scale itself. And I think every person that I see has a little bit different relationship. Some people, maybe the scale shouldn't even be a factor in your journey. Other people, it can be if you if you feel you gravitate towards that. It's one tool of many. It's what, I, what I'm reflecting on now. It's just most people, unless they're in a, commu- a conscious community like yours or like in Fit Mother, where people are discussing what we call non-scale victories or all these other things, NSVs, unless people are talking about them, most people are not doing this service for themselves. It's almost like there's a lot of intention that would go into creating multiple measuring points. Maybe it's slightly journaling at the end of the day. Maybe it's taking other kinds of measures, asking yourself reflective questions of your energy and subjective well-being, really taking note of complements that you may get or the fact that you walked up the stairs and you're no longer winded, noticing an awareness because those are definitely rewards on our journey that help strengthen our commitment and start to build our momentum even further. So, so, so important. Yeah. And actually, if anybody wants uh, a chart to download, I actually provide it in my book. You can download any charts that are in my book. You can download on my website. So tipswithtony.com slash once upon a diet. Is that one word or the dashes? It's one word. Okay. Once upon a diet, one word. Yeah. Once upon a diet. Um, so tipsystory.com slash once upon a diet. It'll, you, if you don't have a copy of the book, it'll show you that you can get it on Amazon. So you can get it on Amazon, paperback, Kindle, audio. Um, and then the air, you can also download the PDFs. So I put in what I talk about, what I'm sure you do with your clients as well in your community. We have like a check-in sheet before they have a call with their dietitian. So it will ask them, you know, how well did I do this week? And it'll have them rate things like body image, a relationship with food, bowel movements or like, um, hair, skin, and nails. Um, like just like all these other things, their energy levels, the PRs in the gym, all that stuff, it'll just have them measure it. And so on a scale, like of one to five. And so I basically just put it in the book and then I created, um, where people can download it on my website. So that might be a nice thing for people to have access to. Yeah. Very tangible. Right. And once a week, which I think I like about this too, is I think the more frequently you check in, that's still sustainable, 
is perhaps optimal because it keeps you steering in the right direction. Like what if we could be perfectly present and we're able to like really check in every moment and make like the perfect new decision about how we want it doesn't work like that. But I think once a week even has power because it uh, keeps us moving forward and it gives us the ability to make shifts if, if something's a little bit out of alignment. And that's what those micro shifts are what keeps us in the right direction as opposed to these big bailing off the plan because too much friction built up. It makes a ton of sense to me. Yeah. And the small changes are what build to create those bigger changes. Mm-hmm. All right. So I want to talk about, I don't know, we just got through the holidays and we've been really reflecting on this topic of how nutrition is seasonal in the sense of our lives are seasonal. Like if we're living in, in with our families in our lives, like you're doing different things and you may have a different level of strictness versus laxity at certain times of the year. And I think it's like, my, from my perspective, when we're having it now is like, that's perfect. And it kind of seems like that's the flow. Mm-hmm. Talk into that a little bit. I mean, holidays are a time that's, that tends to quote unquote, trip some people up. What is the once upon a diet kind of perspective on how to navigate that period of the year? And also maybe has we build momentum into January, February, the beginning of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, the whole framework behind once upon a diet is ultimately to get you to a place where you have your own diet per se, but not in the sense of you have to eat this, you eat that. It's more of like a system to kind of figure out like what foods feel best for you. Um, you know, just a way of eating. Really, that's what we know. The actual clinic, like term of what diet actually means is just the way of eating. But through diet culture, it's become like people think of it as like this restriction or rigid way. With that said, truly what I am encouraging people to do is just live a healthier lifestyle. And so a healthier lifestyle means that you eat balanced consistently. You honor your hunger and fullness cues most of the time. You even honor your cravings most of the time. You move your body regularly. You stay hydrated with water. You, you get balanced, you know, adequate sleep, you manage your stress. Obviously, there are going to be seasons that are a little bit more stressful. There are going to be seasons you indulge a little bit more. But with that said, it's still pretty standard. Like there, it's still like, yeah, there's still a through line. There's still like a beat, like a steady beat. And then like maybe in the um, holidays, you might like let go a little bit, <laughs> like, but not, but not like a whole lot of it because what I help people do, what we help people do, and I know you do as well, is we're helping you to feel better. Right. So if you focus on how you want to feel both now and later, you're going to make better choices for you. Yeah. You want to do it. You want to stick to the plan. You want to do it. You don't, once you learn how to honor your hunger and fullness cues, like I reflect back and I, I under, I get how this can sound like almost impossible to some because I was there and I know many clients who come to, into our program and work with us are in shock when they get towards the end and they're like, I can't even think of, how the fact that I used to eat to the point of feeling sick, like that unbuckle your pants full, like on a regular basis, you know, not really even knowing when they're hungry, you know, not being in touch with their hunger cues. Like the fact that they, you know, can do it now, you don't want to, even though, for example, like Thanksgiving is a day that you like do that intentionally. There are so many years over like the past few years since I've healed my relationship with food that I, I have the intention of leaving room for the pumpkin pie, because I love pumpkin pie. And there's sometimes where I don't even have it and I have it the next day because I'm too full. <laughs> but whereas the old version of me would be like, this is the one day I got to go in, you know, I can only have it today. And then you have, you know, one piece of pie and then another piece of pie and then another piece of pie. And then you have, you know, leftovers or whatever. And it's just like, it doesn't stop until the day's over, you know? And that's just the sort of thing that, you know, we like to challenge people on is just, 
you know, you can change the way that you eat because if you want to feel good, like, yeah, you're going to, you're going to, maybe you have two pieces of pie or three pieces of pie, whatever it is, but like, you also don't beat yourself up about it. Right. And you, chances are you probably stop yourself before you feel sick because you know that that doesn't feel good. Right. So there's definitely seasons in life, but I think the other thing I'll just kind of add is there's a lot of companies and programs currently out there that have noticed that people are, don't want to do diets anymore and they want a lifestyle change. So they'll market themselves as a lifestyle change. But on the inside of the program is you have to eat this shake, eat this bar and cut out carbohydrates. That's not a lifestyle change. A lifestyle change is something that you can bring with you on vacation. So same thing about the seasons in life. You go on vacation and yeah, you might have a couple more cocktails or you might like eat more like dips with apps and whatever and all that. But like you're still making healthy, balanced choices for the most part, not as much as maybe when you're home, but like it's not that much different, right? And it doesn't stress you out. You don't have anxiety over what to eat, when to eat, and how much to eat. And you're just like, you know, fluid with it. Flexible, fluid, ups and downs, but no no more of the drastic ups and downs. And I think that's when you'll really know that if what you're doing is actually working for you, is it doesn't feel like this fight, it doesn't feel like this... I'm either doing it or I'm not doing it. You know, I'm stressed. You know, it's just, you know, you just change a little bit, but not drastically. <laughs> yeah, that's so well said. Um, I mean, perfect, really. I hope people really listen to what you just shared. That does seem like the the flow that you go through in this process. I have a couple specific comments I want to share. One of those is the process of getting there often starts off with a little bit of like a little more structure. And as structure gives you momentum and you start to gain confidence and competence because you are seeing the changes and you start to learn how different things are affecting your body because you're paying attention to your digestive tract, your skin, then you have a time where you have a little bit of stuff you normally don't have and it makes you feel worse. So it's actually repatterning a little bit of your relationship to that and it's helping you become more steady. And the longer you're steady, you have more rock solidness to your plan. And you can ultimately come so steady that it's your through line for your entire life. One key I've found to doing this in the early days is to have a really good like protocol that after you've had a free meal, as we like to call them, not cheat meals or, or something like this, the next day, you're able to anchor back into some kind of healthy routine that reboots the system. So for us, it's like we help people kind of figure out one strategy is we help them standardize like a healthy meal, particularly for meal one of the day. Not saying you have to have the same thing every single day, but look, a lot of these people were busy parents, you know, busy people. And like sometimes it's nice to have a standardized, delicious, nutritious kind of first meal that kind of serves as an anchor. If it's something you enjoy, that can get you back on. How do people? Kind of let's talk about this concept of like anchors and re-engaging with the plan. What are ways that people can reshift momentum if they feel like they're kind of moving in a direction that's not quite great? Great question. The first part is letting go of guilt and shame. Because I think a lot of people, if they do overindulge, or they overeat, or they feel sick, or they made, quote unquote, a bad choice. I'm using air quotes because there's nothing good or bad about really making a, if you decide you want to have a cookie, it's not the cookie that's the issue. You made a choice. Yeah. Like, and you made a choice. Like, I say this a lot. I say, it's not the cookie that's the issue. The, the issue is eating the entire box of cookies after no longer being able to ignore your hunger cues all day, right? It's like this idea of like, I'm not allowed to have a cookie. So because I'm not allowed to have a cookie, if I have one cookie, now I screwed up. So I feel bad about it and I feel guilty about it. So I may as well just keep going. It's like, you can have a cookie, have the cookie, enjoy the cookie, and then move on. 
that's and I know that's hard for people to grasp and to understand um, because of this idea that cookies are bad. One cookie, like five, six grams of sugar. I mean, it's not going to ruin your day, but it's a difference between having that and eating a box of a couple hundred grams of sugar and fat. Exactly. A yeah. huge difference. <laughs> a huge difference. A huge, huge difference. And then even so, even if you do have the whole box of cookies, if you stay stuck and I screwed up, I may as well keep going. Then you're going to have more. So if you feel that guilt and shame tells our brain to stop trying, right? So you have to just forgive yourself and be compassionate with yourself and just let go. You, it happens. The sooner you get back, because we all know, and our brain, I think also too, we're like tired of trying and we say, I don't care. We care. We always come back and we always are like, why did I do that? I'll start over on Monday because we care. You do care. But right now your mind's playing tricks on you. Maybe because you're not eating enough. I don't know. Maybe because your mindset tells you you're not allowed to have something. Whatever it is, you have to know that if it happens, you the, the sooner you get back to it, the sooner you'll be back to on track with your goals. But the longer you kind of just say, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, oh, you know, I don't care. Screw it. Then the further away you're going to get from your goals. So one of the sayings I say a lot is, one moment of overindulgence won't affect your progress, but how you respond to it will. So if you overindulge and you say, screw it, and you just keep going, it's going to take you further away from making progress. Also, if you overindulge and say, oh my God, now I have to exercise three times tomorrow. I'm going to skip all my, you know, my meals to make up for it. You're going to probably lead to binging and overeating again. So you just have to forgive yourself, you're human, and then just get back to it. Whatever you're, whatever makes you feel good. And that's where it could be different for everyone, right? But ultimately, like the sooner you get back to what you already do know makes you feel good, the closer you will be to feeling good for longer. Yeah. It's a beautiful answer. And it's very true. That's also, it's a skill. It's a practice. Yeah, it's a practice. It's a big practice. And I think that's the other thing too, um, like I was sharing earlier, I, the thought of like stopping when I was full, like that, I like, what? Like the fact that I do that now, I, sometimes I catch myself and I'm like, you go little Tony, like you grow, you've grown so much. <laughs> like, you know, like I, it's just amazing. Like I could, there could be, and it could be something like French fries and like chicken fingers, which is like so delicious. Right. And it's like, but I don't eat more than my body tells me. And it's just like, I think a lot of people just associate when you have like more of those like less nutrient dense options that you just like automatically overconsume on them, right? Like the cookie or the ice cream or whatever it is. But your body will actually tell you like you're done. And when you learn how to like listen to it, once you do it once, that's all you need. That's all you need is that one night where you actually don't do the cabinet raid. The one night where you decide to make yourself a cup of tea, you know, instead of having, you know, a bunch of different snacks or whatever it is. Like you just need that one time to do it and then realize when you wake up the next day how great you felt. And then you realize, you know what? It's not worth it. So in the moment, I want this. But when if I think about how I want to feel later, I'm going to make a choice that's going to yield a better outcome. So I have a lot of tips about that. I'm like, that's like my strong. <laughs> so we teach a lot about. It's so powerful. What you just shared though, is like, it's the very nature of our experience. We're sitting there. We have an urge or something like this. It's a desire. 
And a lot of us have been caught in patterns of unconsciously, you just kind of react to it and you go. And then you're in the loop and then the guilt shame cycle kicks in the next day. And then that energy can be redirected or it can really rut you down. This is about becoming more conscious and aware. That's not to say the cravings ever go away. They, They may come up in all sorts of different times, but you can be aware of them and then make a conscious choice. And I'll tell you this, you also said something very practical. A really nice cup of tea at night oftentimes is something that can like do the trick too. Like something nice, tasting, happy, makes you warm on the inside, gives you a lot of the same benefits of that single cookie or the box of cookies kind of did too. Or a glass of wine or... Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. I want to ask you something very specific to kind of wrap this up. I think in the process of you, you're talking so much about hunger cues and paying attention to those. And I think that's something that's unique and powerful about your work and something that more people should be talking about. Do you coach your clients on how slowly they eat or chewing food better or anything like this? Because it's just something that I think is could be relevant to helping people with that. Oh yeah. Oh, it definitely helps. So I, we have them to, because I'm going to be fully transparent. I am the fastest eater on the planet. And so even this is, I have trouble, trouble practicing this. So we'll bring it up, but I'm very honest with people. It's like, if I can't do it, I don't expect you to do it, but like, you know, but no, but I do definitely, um, suggest to, yeah, chew your food, eat slower, be more, more mindful, be more present, all that stuff. But what we actually help our clients do to get back in touch with their hunger is, um, to use the hunger scale. So the hunger scale goes from one to 10 and one to three is like, I'm starving. I'm going to faint like that. We don't really want to get to like that one, two, maybe three is okay. But like, we don't want to get to that hungry because that's usually where the cravings happen. The over overeating happens, low energy, you know, all that. Then, so we want to really eat around like a four or five. And then we want to stop around like a six or a seven. So a six is like, I feel satisfied. A seven is I feel good. But if I have one more bite, it's going to bring me to eight, right? And so eight, nine, and 10 is like, like think of 10, like Thanksgiving full, like I'm going to throw up, like I overdid it. Right. So we try to get people to check in before they eat. Um, where am I at on a scale of one to 10? Where am I at? They eat. And then where, where did I finish? Yeah. You know? And so then that way they can just get better at engaging what that looks like and how that feels. Um, and if we start to notice that, they're eating more than probably their body needs, but they, you know, and they're having trouble with that. We might teach them to eat a little bit slower. Yeah. Right. Makes a ton of sense. I mean, checking out on the signal of hunger. I read a book many years ago called like the blue zones, like things you learn from people who lived the longest, the Daniel Butner stuff about the centenarians. And one of the things is like keeping, never eating past 80% full was one of the things from the Okinawans. And it's such a, like a beautiful thing, right? I mean, we're neither to be on either end of the excess of this phenomenon of full, the duality of, of extreme fullness or extreme starvation. Um, and we are blessed. We are in a very privileged, you know, world right now, depending, we can actually do that. Like, you know, we, and I think that's the mindset that screws so many people up is like this idea of like, oh, they, in their, their brain tells them like, oh, I can't have this again. Or when am I, when I'm going to be, I don't want to be hungry later or whatever it is, but like you live, hopefully, I think chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, my guess is you probably have great access to food. Um, you know, and because you have access to food, you don't have to stress and worry about that. Like if you get hungry again later, that's the thing too. If you thought you were done and then in a half hour later, you're hungry again, then you didn't eat enough. Now we know, now we know for next time that maybe you thought you were full, but maybe you were just distracted or 
you know, um, busy or something, you know? Yep. I have one or two more very direct questions. What is your relationship to snacking and how that relates to people's nutrition? I hate to give the blanket answer that everyone is different, but it is true. Um, everyone really is different. So we like to start our clients with three balanced meals a day to start. And then depending on their activity level, their work schedule, um, you know, then add snacks if they're having, you know, they need to help them to sometimes too. just the simple, actually for, especially for the women we work with who are just like super busy taking care of the kids. Like actually if they don't have a snack around like that three, four o'clock, then they over consume dinner. And then after for sure. That's a huge gap between lunch and dinner. Right. So then that's where we definitely would encourage snacking. So typically most people are, we encourage three meals a day um, and then anywhere from like one to three snacks a day. <laughs> like, it can be really dependent. So people are having something every three, four hours. Yeah. Three to four hours. Seems to be a really good balance of keeping you in the five to six to seven range where you're neither going on either end. But I think it's interesting though, is the longer, sometimes if you do practice something like intermittent fasting, which is only right for some people, but if it works, cool, you, it seems that your hunger hormones can change a little bit and you used to get hungry at a particular time and you can fast a little bit longer too. This is a phenomenon. Well, that's the other thing too. We adapt. And a lot of people come to us where they are saying, I'm not hungry for breakfast. But I think the issue with intermittent fasting, especially for women, is this idea that it almost like gives them permission to not eat breakfast, but then they're kind of stuck in this under eating during the day, overeating at night for most of the people that we come in contact with, yeah. where we'll make the simple shift of just eating breakfast earlier, you know, rather than like at one o'clock, you know, and that is a game changer for them. Cause then they, then they're hungry for lunch and then they don't have as much cravings and then they're not overeating at that three o'clock hour or, you know, at, at night. And then the more they have breakfast, then they actually wake up hungry for breakfast. So our bodies adapt, you know, and so we have to figure out how do we want to adapt so that this is going to give us the results we're looking for and be able to keep them long-term. And do you have your clients like standardize healthy snacks or are they just having kind of whatever's around? Like are there go-to healthy snacks or is it a little more free flow? So we have our clients take photos of what they would normally have. So we start with like, we give almost like little, we'll give them some suggestions, but we see what they normally gravitate towards. And then we encourage them to make more balanced, maybe snack pairings. So like a carb and a protein, adding some sort of color, like a fruit or a vegetable. Um, and just then eventually, basically, so when we work with clients, it's a six month program. So in that six month period, we're getting really clear on the habits that need some adjusting and changing and then creating healthier ones. So by the end, they have a great idea of like their go-to snack options that make them feel good, their go-to breakfast options, their go-to lunches, their go-to dinners. So it's like kind of like their staples, um, what works for them based off of their, their life. And with snacks, we usually encourage snack pairings because we find them to be a little bit more satiating um, rather than just like having an apple. An apple's great. Apple and nuts is better. Right. You're probably going to stay satisfied a little bit longer if you pair that apple with, yeah, like nuts or a cheese stick or whatever it is that works for that person. Perfect. Tony, this was great. I learned a lot. It sounds like you have a really wonderful process now. I'd love to turn it back over to you to share with people one more time where they can learn more about your book, especially if they want to explore the relationship between dating and dieting and get to the core of this stuff, which is all basically emotion, mindset, relationship to ourself. It's like self-knowing. It's an amazing process, right? Where can they learn more about you? Yeah. So the book is on Amazon. 
Like I said earlier, you can get it on paperback version, Kindle version, or audio. So it's on Amazon, Once Upon a Diet. You can also go to my website, tipsatoni.com slash Once Upon a Diet to download any sheets that are in the book. And if you want to connect with me, I'm very active on Instagram at tips underscore with underscore Tony with an I. I also have the Tips with Tony podcast. I have a great course. If anybody wants to just, they're not sure if they're ready for one-to-one coaching, but just wants to learn more about nutrition, you can get that at tipsatoni.com slash courses. And if you want to apply to our six months of food freedom program and work with a dietitian on my team, you can go to tipswithtony.com slash coaching. So I know I just spit a lot at you, but if you have any questions... We'll throw links. We can have some links too. We'll throw some links somewhere. Whatever is easier. Also, I'm like very responsive in my DMs on Instagram. So, or you can email me, whatever works for you. You'll find something <laughs> if you go to search for it. So I'm here to help in any way that I can. Nice. Well, Tony, thank you for your wisdom today. I truly appreciate you and congratulations on your journey and now being able to help so many people. This is like amazing stuff. So thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. Hey there, my friend. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Fit Mother Project podcast. If you love what you heard, I have a favor to ask you. Please consider taking 60 seconds right now to leave us a rating and review on our podcast. Leaving us a review is super quick. It only takes a minute and it's so, so helpful to us as it really boosts this podcast to reach more people who need this information and this message. If you're listening on Apple Podcast, you can leave us a star rating and review. If you're watching on YouTube, you can hit the like button and leave us a comment. Overall, I truly appreciate you being with us here on the podcast. On behalf of me and my entire Fit Mother Project team, we truly feel honored and grateful to support you and your family on your journey to fantastic health. I thank you for your support of this podcast and of this mission. Also, if you're interested in joining our Complete Fit Mother program and becoming an official member of our community, you can visit our website, fitmotherproject.com. And on the Fit Mother site, you'll be able to see our Complete Fit Mother program along with our online store with the best supplements designed for busy moms. And you'll also find a ton of free resources like recipes, workouts, meal plans, and more. God bless you and your family. This is Dr. Anthony Balduzzi signing off. I'll catch you on the next episodes of the Fit Mother Project podcast. 